Hello, and welcome to another episode of the How to Scale a Business podcast. My name is Hector Santhi Esteban, and I am your host for today. And we have a special guest. His name is Nathan Hirsch. And I, as I was prepping for the call, I thought we were going one way. And then I also realized that he has a number of other businesses that he's also done as well. But Nathan is probably most known for having a big exit in the e-com space, and he's turned around and then is now helping and growing a community of entrepreneurs to do similar things. So Nathan, thanks for hanging out and spending some time with us today. Hydra, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You're my first podcast back from break. So hopefully I'm not too rusty and we can drop some value for your audience. No, I don't think it's going to be rust. I think you're primed and, and ready and you're overflowing with knowledge and information. I know that because you're putting out some really great stuff on social media and just the things that you're speaking to, I think, are really important for business owners of all stages. But I would love for you to catch us up on and fill us in on the gaps on, you know, go back to wherever you think your entrepreneurial journey started and then take us through some of the key milestones and, and how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, absolutely. I started as a broke college kid and my parents were teachers and made me had summer jobs. And I learned a lot just working for other people, sales, customer service, managing people. But I always just hated working for a boss and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know what I would do or what business to start. When I was in college, I started buying and selling people's textbooks, competing with my school bookstore. That was my first real entrepreneur journey. And I got a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to knock it off and stop competing with them. At that point, I had lined out the door of people trying to sell me their books. And I had this Amazon account that was, this is 2008. So people were just buying books on Amazon. Amazon was just getting into other stuff. I had an Amazon account that I was selling books on to make more than the bookstore. And I started experimenting with other products and finding deals online and trying to find a niche that I could actually make money on. And I experimented with everything from DVDs, video games, like sporting equipment, guy stuff until finding baby products and toys, if you can imagine that. And it's funny, I, I just had a kid four months ago, and I'm buying all the same stuff that I used to sell back in the day 10 years ago. So this business blew up. It was better than, than anyone could expect it. I was probably making more money than any college kid should. It was just a great timing. Amazon was bursting out of the seams. There were no Amazon courses, no Amazon sellers, no Amazon software. None of that existed. I had to be one of the first 1,000 Amazon sellers selling things that weren't booked. And I grew this business. I came across dropshipping years before I even knew it was called dropshipping. I built relationships with all these different US suppliers that would ship products to where I wanted them to. And I would make the difference. They would keep my credit card on file. They didn't know what e-commerce was. So they didn't realize yet that they didn't really need me. And this was a great business. And I ended up meeting my business partner, Connor, when I needed to start hiring people. He was one of the only hires that actually worked out. All the other college kids were lazy and, and unreliable. And that kind of brought me into the world of virtual assistants. I, I hired my first VA from the Philippines on a necessity. I needed help with this growing business. And there wasn't a lot of software back then. So there was a ton of manual work from customer service to changing prices, updating inventory. And I built this VA army. And at that time, Connor, my partner, and I, we, we thought we were going to take down Amazon and be the next e-commerce giant. And Amazon got harder. All of a sudden, people started selling courses and learning how to master Amazon in different ways and more sellers burst out of the scenes. And so we never launched our own products. We were always selling other people's products. And eventually, that just became not as fun of a business. We maxed out at about $7 million a year. We sold $25 million over seven, eight years. Great 
cash cow for a college kid, but we didn't see a long-term plan with it just because e-commerce was becoming more competitive. Meanwhile, we had all these VAs and they all knew Amazon and we started offering them to all these e-commerce sellers and that became FreeUp, a marketplace competing with Upwork and Fiverr. It started off as very e-commerce focused, pre-vetted e-commerce freelancers and VAs. But that was a lot of fun. It was our first B2B business. We weren't relying on Amazon and their changes. We had our own website. We got to learn branding and partnerships and SEO and all the stuff that, that goes into a B2B business. This business timing is everything, right? Back then, there weren't a lot of agencies. Now there's a lot of them. There weren't that many like freelancers and VAs promoting services on social media. So we had this select group of great VAs and freelancers that that we were offering to other people. We scaled this business for four years, skipping ahead. We can dive into it more if you want. We got it to about $12 million a year, very profitable, very cash flow positive, no debt. We started it with five grand and we ended up exiting it to a company uh, called The Hoth, which was the, the most stressful uh, six months of my life. And The Hoth are great people. We, we sold it to really good people that honored their word and treated our, our team well and our clients well and paid us every penny and all the stuff that's important in a deal. And we're still friends with them today. But that allowed us to figure out what we want to do next. And we decided to start building a portfolio of B2B businesses. For four years, all we did was free up, eat, sleep, breathe. And now we had an opportunity to build different things and hire operators to just from day one to run those businesses. So we have outsource school that we don't provide VAs, but we have our unique hiring process for interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing all of our SOPs that people can get access to and plug it into their business. We've got two bookkeeping businesses, accounts balance and econ balance. I'm not a bookkeeper, but we have a great team of bookkeepers and a controller there where we do monthly bookkeeping for tons of e-commerce businesses, but then accounts balances, agencies, SaaS, other types of businesses there. We've got Trio SEO, which is our SEO blog writing service. And we've got more coming. My business partner, Connor, is connorgilvin.com, where he sells an SEO course. I'm launching nathanhirsch.com. We got other business ideas coming up. But yeah, that's the long, short version of me as an entrepreneur. But right now, I'm just trying to build a portfolio of B2B companies and use my personal brand to push people to, to what they need. Yeah, this is a, such a cool story. And, and so many avenues and places I want to go what I'm curious, though, is as you were continuing to move forward from the outside, it could seem like, wow, these are a lot of different rabbits that you're chasing. And there's the old adage of two rabbits, catch one or whatever it may be. However, what I seem to find in the instances where these things work out is that it's usually not different rabbits, but it's like rabbits that are like tied together, right? If the rabbits were had like strings between them or there's some sort of link or chain connection that kind of ties them all together, if you will. Is that present for you guys? Like, was there like a unifying theme or thread or not? I'm curious how that process of what's the next thing or how do we evolve this? Can you take us into what that process looks like? Yeah. To start at your first point, I've gone back and forth this a while. Like I used to believe focus on one thing. And like I mentioned, free up. We did free up for four years. That worked out really well. But there's situations where you put all your eggs in one basket and it doesn't work out well. So I do believe there's a time and a place for that hustle, that drive and that focus on one thing, especially when you find something that's growing and profitable and staying there. And, and there are people that will find a business that's profitable. And for some reason, they want to do something else when really they should be focusing on that one thing. I'm at a very different stage in my life. I had some success with the Amazon business, 
free up was crushing it for four years. So it didn't make sense to focus on other things. Now I'm in a situation where I want to build a portfolio of different things that diversifies. Businesses fail. Any business in my portfolio could fail. And I don't want to have all my eggs in one basket. I don't want to focus all my time on one thing. And I'm only starting businesses if I have an operator to run it from day one. So I'm out of the operations. I'll push traffic to it. I'll help manage it and organize it and build the strategy behind it. But I'm not trying to run 10 different businesses. So like for Trio SEO, we had the idea for it a year before we actually started it. We waited until we found Steven Snyder, our operator, plugged him in and then launched it with him there so that we could hit the ground running. So that's our mentality. And there is overlap. You want there to be overlap. If you're running four or five different businesses, we have people who are members of Outsource School that we also do their bookkeeping, that we also do their SEO. It doesn't always work like that. Some random person might hear me on a podcast and we only do their bookkeeping. But there are there's plenty of overlap where we like businesses that apply to every business. If you're an online business, you need to hire. There's no way around it. You need bookkeeping. There's no way around it. And you need SEO. There's no way around it. So chances are, if you're an online business and you're looking for those things, I can help you. I believe in our service. I believe in our customer service and all of that. So it does all tie together. We like those bigger markets that apply to a lot of businesses. Yeah. I like that as you're saying it, that's what was coming to mind is, oh yeah, everybody needs SEO. Everybody needs bookkeeping. Every like, Well, not everybody, but every business does at least. That's huge. I'm curious for you, starting as a college student and not coming from a, a long lineage of corporate executives, if you will, or like corporate leaders, I'm sure there was a lot of learning on the fly, especially with regards to managing and leading people or systems or like taking yourself and going from a college kid to actually this leader. What was that process like? And I'm curious if there were any stumbling steps or whatever that phrase is that kept you going or or were signs that maybe you have some room to improve in this area? Yeah. So (laughs) I have a funny one. I've only had a few jobs. I've had a handful of jobs. I'm a vegetarian, but I worked at a meat store. I was the head umpire for the town along Meadow. I worked for Aaron Sales and Lease, which is like a -a rent-a-center. I worked at Firestone, uh, like the tire place, and I know nothing about cars, but I learned something from each one. Like Firestone, I learned sales and customer service. I learned how to sell something that I didn't really know anything about cars. Aaron Sales and Lease, again, sales skills, umpiring. I I learned how to manage people because I was managing all these high school kids that were super unreliable. And so each thing, you pick up these skills. And when you're starting a business, you have no choice. You only apply the skills that you have. What I believe in customer service is all what I learned from Firestone. And they have great customer service. They treat people really well. And I try to do the same thing. Now, the downside of that is you only know what you have experience with. So at Firestone, I worked at one store where the manager just stressed everybody out. He micromanaged every single person. He yelled at people and no one liked working with him. People wanted to quit and he drove everyone crazy. But that's the only real manager I've had for any period of time. Maybe I had one at Aaron's for six months or something, but I worked at Firestone for years under this guy. So when I started managing people, that's the only management style that I knew. That's the only thing I can relate to. I didn't know anything else. So I started just stressing people out and people hated working for me and I ran into turnover. And I remember sitting down with my business partner and he pretty much said, something has to change. This isn't working. Turnover is expensive. It, it's stressful. It wastes a lot of time and money. And 
we started doing exit interviews with people that were leaving. And that stuff hit me to my core. You're asking someone to be honest with you. They don't care. They hate you. They're out the door. And they're telling you everything that's wrong with how you talk to people, how you treat people, how you act on an everyday basis. That was an eye opener. And you still kind of revert back to it because I've never had that corporate job under a great manager where I got to learn from him and copy what he's doing. I can read books and listen to podcasts, but but we both know that's not exactly the same. So certain things like that you miss out on by not having that corporate experience. This is so cool. And I'm so excited that you are willing to share your wisdom, your insights, your experiences. So many people who have had the success that you've had, they'll lock it up and take it on their way and take their ball and go home. But you've really been out there helping people with to do some of these same things. And so when we get back from break, we could go a variety of different ways, but I'm curious about some of these tactics or some of these things, you know, with, with regards to outsourcing or regards to SEO or even bookkeeping. Like, I'm sure that there are some things in those areas that you've learned. And so we're going to get into that a bit right after this quick break. Hey, y'all. Today's episode is brought to you by Amplify Media, and we are a content and podcast production company. Well, we like to think of ourselves a little bit more as genius makers because chances are that you are probably have a passion, a product, a mission, a message, something that you want to get out to the world, but you may not have the time, the team, or the tech skills to be able to do that. If that's the case, we can help. Go to AmplifyMedia.com. That's A-M-P-L-A-F-Y Media.com. You can also check the show notes for info. And with that, let's get back to today's episode. Nathan, when you think about where our audience, right, our audience, they are starting to figure some stuff out. They've got some revenue coming in the door. They've probably got some expenses going out the door to payroll, all the sorts of things. Things are happening. For the person at that stage, is there an order of operations in the terms of the things that you offer? Like, is there a, a thing where it's that person should probably focus first on their hiring and then it's probably important to focus on the bookkeeping or maybe it's bookkeeping first. How would you prioritize the things that you do and the products and systems that you offer and how it might apply to one of our listeners? Yeah. So if I'm starting a company, bookkeeping is the first thing you set up. I would never start a company without a bookkeeper in place or a bookkeeping service in place. And I learned this the hard way. With the Amazon business, I did no bookkeeping and I tried doing it myself every single month and it just wasted a lot of time and it was all incorrect. And I just had to pay an accountant at the end of the year to fix it all up. And then I tried hiring college kids, someone without experience to do the bookkeeping. And again, that was a waste of time. At the end of the year, the accountant would have to fix everything up and I would just waste time and money. Then I tried just dumping on my CPA at the end of the year and just skipping doing bookkeeping altogether. And that just made it so I couldn't make any decisions throughout the year. I had no idea how my companies were doing. And then from there, I tried hiring a bookkeeper quarterly. And again, by the time I got reports, it was too late to make any decisions. So finally, I put a bookkeeper in monthly. When I started free up, hiring a bookkeeper from day one was one of the best decisions we ever made. Not only were we able to make good decisions based on what the numbers were telling us every single month, but when we went to sell the company four years later, we had immaculate books going back to day one that helped us pass due diligence. So hiring a bookkeeper, I would never start a business without a bookkeeper. It has to be part of your budget, just like having a domain or a hosting is part of your budget. Having a bookkeeper has to be part of your budget. I would never start a company without it. And you shouldn't do your own books. That's just a bad use of your time. And you're probably gonna have to pay someone to redo it anyway. So that's step one. And like you alluded to, hiring is step two. If you don't know how to hire, it's always going to hold you back. It's something that crushes small businesses if, if they can't put good people in place. And it's stressful and it makes you get in the mentality that only you can do it, which we both know is the worst mentality to have. 
But if you're good at hiring, it makes everything else easier. Every problem that you have, every fire that you have to put out, everything that comes along with business, that all the downs are just way easier if you're able to hire for it along the way and build a good team, build a Rolodex of reliable freelancers, whatever it is. Those are like the first two things I would do at any business. It's hiring those initial team members where you're going to grow with them. They eventually become team leaders and they're going to help onboard and train the newer people. And that bookkeeper from day one is so important. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I started in the sales world and it was almost the total opposite. We had our own kind of order of operations acronym, if you will. And for starters, what started with sales and marketing recruiting, and then at the end, there was a spot for administrative stuff and bookkeeping and finances like got plumped into that. But what we actually had to do is that was we had to like add another thing of, oh, the people and then the finances. And so it wasn't even... Not only was it not prioritized, it like wasn't even in the conversation. And I'm afraid that a lot of businesses get out there and they start worrying about either their website or their domain name or the logo or the other side. They start going out there and making sales and getting clients and getting customers. And then they look up and their books are a mess or they don't have any or they're just running it all on out of their head. So I don't know if there's a question there, but is that something that maybe you see Am I the only one that thinks that way? Or is there other people that are going through those similar experiences? No, I agree. I mean, if you want to go full picture, if Connor and I are starting a new business, which we, we seem to do every single year, we're brainstorming, right? We're trying to find a, a big industry that, that we can take a small chunk of. We're not trying to create the next Uber. We're trying to find a big market like hiring or bookkeeping that we can do a slightly different way or with great customer service or just have that trust and reliability factor. And so we're brainstorming. If we come up with ideas we like, we're doing market research. We're going and we're actually talking to our ideal customers, we're giving them surveys, and we're learning who the competitors are, what they like, what they don't like, who they're using, what they would pay, stuff like that. So we're getting information. And along the way, anything can stop you, right? If you do your own research and idea and there's nothing there, you stop it. If you do market research and talk to other people and nothing's there, you stop it. The next step, like you said, is sales. Then we go out and we try to pre-sell whatever it is that that we're doing. Before we launched Outsource School, we had a pre-sale of the course before we even started building it. If if no one bought the pre-sale, we're not going to make ourselves waste time to, to build this course. With the bookkeeping, we gave all these people two free months of bookkeeping. If I can't sell... 20 people on two free months of bookkeeping, I don't really have a business there. And the same thing we did it with free up with free hours of BAs, true SEO, free blog articles, whatever. So that's where kind of the sales come in. Sure, you got to prove that you can actually sell it. And a lot of people do it backwards. They're like, oh, I'll get funding. I'll get all this money. I'll spend two years working on this software. And then if the software is good, I'll try to sell it. We're the opposite. We want to prove that we can sell it first before we invest time and energy. But then as soon as you get those beta clients, then you get the bookkeeper in place and you get the team in place before you actually start delivering. And you let those beta clients know that we're not getting started until we have the team in place. Bookkeeping is a great example. We sold these months of bookkeeping while we're still looking for a controller to run the bookkeeping operations. Connor and I are not bookkeepers. So we can't do the bookkeeping. Even if we wanted to, we need the bookkeepers in place. And even if some clients had a two-week delay, whatever it was, we had to get our team and we had to get our own internal bookkeeping going before we could actually get started on the fulfillment. Yeah, such a great concept, a great point about start getting started. Let's switch to the other side. Let's talk about the exit. 
And you said that you've got some resources for people who want, are thinking about that or in that process. I'm curious if you could go back to not necessarily the end, but like in the middle, right? You said that there were some things that you did with bookkeeping that helped expedite a lot of those things at the end. Are there things that you could have done in the middle that might have made that end process either smoother or easier or whatever word you want to use, but things that you could have done in, in the middle part of that process? Yeah. So if people want to go to outsourceschool.com slash exit, we did a brain dump of everything we learned going through an exit and we put it together there and you can learn from us. It's how we set everything up. In terms of being prepared, and I mentioned like due diligence was a six month process. It was super stressful and it wasn't really our fault or their fault. There's lawyers involved, right? Their lawyers are protecting them. Our lawyers are protecting us. For us, it's the biggest moment of our life. For the lawyers, it's another Tuesday. They go on vacation. They got other deals going on. So there's things that just slow the, the process us down. But we did, we have this business set up to be sellable if we wanted to, even though we weren't planning on selling it in the sense that we had clean financials every single month, which we talked about. We had a great team of people that I put against anyone else. The team was loyal. The team wasn't going anywhere. The team could handle everything from sales calls to the bookkeeping to fulfilling, matching up freelancers and VAs. I could leave for two weeks and the business would still run and they were great. And we had everything documented, everything in a process. This was billing day. This is how we run billing day. This is how we handle it if cards are declined. This is how we pause freelancers, unpause them. Everything had a process that was documented and written. So when we're going through due diligence, we're telling people about people on our team. We're showing them the books. We're showing them our SOPs. All of that was very smooth. And even though it took a while, I don't think it, it could have been better. They were sending over 20 questions a day and we had answers and documents and every single thing ready to go. And they even told us that we responded faster than any other company they bought. They buy a lot of companies just because we had everything ready to go. We knew our business inside and out and everything had a process. Now, what would we have done differently? The software. We had a software that held everything together. The actual marketplace, if you think of like an Upwork that you log into, FreeUp had the same thing. And the software always lagged behind the rest of the business. At the beginning, it did very little. It was an MVP. You could create an account and see the freelancer on your account and they could log hours and that was it. And over time, we added billing and payments and affiliates and, and a, a project board and all this stuff there. But we never truly invested in the software. We had a whole long to-do list of feedback and projects we want to add to it. And the software was a big part of the exit. It was unique. We didn't rent it from anyone else. We weren't paying a monthly fee for it. We built it. We owned it. It was all proprietary to us. So if we had invested another $100,000 in the software, could that have been worth millions more to the buyers? Maybe. That's something that we definitely have to think about. But you could play hindsight's 20 You could play that all day. We're very happy with how it turned out. And to add to it, the best advice we ever got was to sell it to really good people. I'd rather make a little less money than sell it to some a-hole who's going to argue with me for the next five years, sue me. We end up in court. We're battling it out. I want to end on good terms. We both made a good decision or we both made a decision based on the best information available. I want them to succeed. They want us to succeed. They become mentors to us. We have a good relationship with them. And that's what we were looking for, even though maybe we could have gotten more money from someone else. We felt like we got a good amount of money, a fair deal from really good people that were going to take care of us and our reputation and our team and, and all of that. So that's how we look at it. So cool. This has been a fun, exciting, jam-packed. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this again a few times because so many nuggets in here. Nathan, if people want to get more connected with you, go deeper in your world, where's the best place to, to do that? 
Yeah, connect with me on social media, Nathan Hirsch, whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, you name it. I'm on all that. I put out a lot of content every day about just entrepreneurship and I'm on a goal to make it simpler for everyone. Whether it's hiring, bookkeeping, SEO, I try to break everything down from an entrepreneur's perspective. And you can check out any of my companies. We've got our own YouTube channels for those and we put out a lot of great content and all that. So appreciate you having me on and hopefully I can connect with, with a lot of listeners. Yeah. And there's a few resources that you have specifically for each of them. Do you want to just talk a little bit about each of them? Because I think that A, they're really specific and I think that they'll be really helpful as well. Yeah. So for Outdoor School, go to outdoorschool.com slash exit. We put together everything that we learned about the exit to help you prepare for account balance or bookkeeping service. If you want to see what a great monthly report looks like that's clean and easy to read, go to accountsbalance.com slash report. And then Trio SEO or SEO service, my business partner put together all of his SOPs for SEO. Go to trioseo.com slash SOP and you can grab those. Sweet. And we'll link those up in the show notes as well so you guys can go and grab those. But Nathan, this has been fantastic. One last question here for you. Uh, In your opinion, what is the secret to scaling a business? It's finding a a big market and delivering really good service or products in that market and then using that to to scale. Sometimes I feel like people overcomplicate entrepreneurship. It's tough to start a business if no one has a market for it. We learned that the hard way with SOP software. That's one of our businesses that failed. There just wasn't a big enough market. Not everyone wants to use SOP software. You can use Google Docs and all sorts of stuff. But when you get into a big market, you can just take your small chunk and deliver on it and get results, good customer service, all the things around it. So to me, that's what business is all about. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, thank all of you for being here and sticking with us today. We would love and appreciate a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know someone who's in the midst of scaling a business or they could benefit from some of this info, hit the share button and send them a text with this link and go get connected with Nathan, myself on LinkedIn. If you're not already, we appreciate you as always for being a part of the tribe. We'll see you on the next one. Later, y'all.